At a, a centre for spiritual renewal in the west of England, there was established a few years ago with the, on the site of the ruins of a medieval barn a place of worship for the community and the restoration was done with a difference. According to those responsible for this venture it was done in accordance with the laws of sacred geometry an area of knowledge long recognized in the East as a science. And the reason for this was a desire that this building should not simply house or perpetuate a cult or a static religious form, but rather that its proportions, its measurements, its space should further the awakening of new faculties for spiritual development. Faculties which it is believed are particularly evident in man at his present stage of evolution. Now opinions may differ as to the value or otherwise of such an enterprise. Nevertheless the intention of the architects of this venture was quite clear. To distinguish between cult and dynamic in the context of the spiritual evolution of man. And I should like this afternoon to examine the concept of cult and dynamic first in relation to religion in general and then if you're still with me to Christianity in particular and finally to examine where and how in the contemporary situation this dynamic may be seen to operate. Dynamic, as is I think self-evident, signifies movement. A flowing current, a creative energy, a life-giving process. A cult is static, it is therefore fundamentally different and it is very important to be clear in our thinking about the distinction. Nevertheless, the one cannot exist without the other. We're living in a day when cult is very unpopular. Nevertheless, it has its function. Dynamic precedes cult and of necessity always gives birth to cult by the very law of manifestation. The second is of the substance of the former, but not to be confused with it. I see you puckering your brows. Neither is the function of the second to be confused with that of the former, though they may coexist. And one more qualification before this begins to sound to the ecclesiastically conditioned, like the Athanasian Creed. Both have their place and function in history, society, and in the individual. This I shall try to develop later on. Now in the history of religion an invariable law appears to work. A dynamic is seen to operate within the context of a culture, a society, a nation. 
The ultimate reality from which the dynamic proceeds is known as God. In Christian terminology, the attribute of fatherhood is given to the ultimate reality, son to the principle of manifestation, and spirit to the dynamic. The manifestation of the dynamic is usually, though not invariably, initially in and through an individual who is seen to be moving spiritually in advance of his fellows. I say usually through individuals, as for example through, example, through Gautama the Buddha, Jesus Christ and Muhammad. The power of the dynamic and its particular kind of energy is manifested primarily through the being of the particular individual, having immediate impact upon other individuals and upon society. From this source, the beingness of individuals and the beingness of groups is affected. And if I may put it this way, a process of internal combustion is generated, like calls to like, an enormous potential and power having an authentic moral content and producing a sense of unified identity is evidenced within mankind. The function of the dynamic is therefore seen to be to generate and to transform. Such is the dynamic. The law of manifestation follows. This leads to crystallization in the form of cult. In general terms, in the history of religions, the crystallization takes a certain clear pattern, for here we are dealing with inexorable laws. In the form, first of all, of scriptures and written traditions, and secondly, in ecclesiastical systems or clearly distinguishable societies, as for example in Judaism and Islam. So the dynamic gives way to the cult, though as I have already indicated the two may harmoniously or otherwise coexist at intermittent periods, either in individuals or in group situations. Nevertheless, the two are separate. The one is esoteric, the other the exoteric face of religion, and both faces are required. The former, which has to do with essence, is one, that is the esoteric, is one wherever and whenever it operates. The second is seen in diversity, a diversity provided by the particular vehicles of manifestation, that is, type of humanity, cultural environment, period of history, etc. The dynamic is one, the cult is manifold, and if we could, in the church, but grasp these fundamental laws, a great deal of confusion, controversy, bitterness would be avoided. We can observe the process even further. The dynamic can never be in conflict with itself. The cult, in its diversity of manifestation and crystallization,
can and invariably does produce contradiction, division and conflict. Hence the differences and contradictions between the religions on the exoteric level. If I may give an example within the context of Western Christianity, Roman Catholicism has been much wiser than Protestantism in its handling of or its attempts to handle the dynamic or its recognition of the dynamic. So uh, when the dynamic has operated in an obvious way, it has invariably given birth to a new religious community. And so you get the history of the development of religious orders for men and women within the Roman Catholic Church. In Protestantism, uh, this hasn't been managed very well. So you get, for example, in the 18th century when the Church of England was as moribund as it could be, um, the dynamic expressed itself through a man named John Wesley. And uh, this eventually followed the inevitable law and uh, a crystallisation followed, you got Methodism, which in the course of time became eminently respectable, almost as respectable as a parent body. So the dynamic was followed out into a thing called primitive Methodism. And even primitive Methodism manifested and crystallised and as a result of that the dynamic went on and some called it the Salvation Army. And so you can go on. So this, in broad outline, is the pattern in relation to religion in general. I now want to relate these principles in a little more detail to the Christian Church in particular. But first, a word about the pseudo-spiritual movement so prevalent today, not only in the Church. At a time when there is a great deal of loose thinking and writing about mysticism, esotericism and the return of the ancient wisdom it is of fundamental importance to true understanding that mysticism and esotericism are seen to be the very antithesis of the instant spirituality offered by many groups today both inside and outside of the church and also that wisdom both ancient and modern is not to be confused with psycho-emotional excitement Mystical insight, esoteric understanding and heart wisdom are hard won. To be specifically Christian, they come from following the way of the cross. The pearl of great price is purchased by all that man has. It's completely holistic. So to the Christian church. And here of course it's very easy to be cynical and to see this universal phenomenon as the opium of the people, a tool of right-wing reactionary governments, and I'm not taking up any particular political stance at the moment. You've heard of the An Anglican who said, I'm strictly non-political, I'm Tory. <laughs> May be seen as an initiator of civil war, or coming home to this country and the established church, simply the Tory party at prayer praying on their knees on Sunday and their neighbours during the week. <laughs> but let us look at beginnings, at one of the most powerful dynamic manifestations in the history of the human race, operative in and through Jesus of Nazareth. A dynamic which 2,000 years later, though often hidden from the eyes of observers inside and outside of the cult, is still operating in the lives 
and affairs of men. And remember the words of Jesus himself, the kingdom of God comes not by observation. The initial impact of the dynamic was incalculable and in 2,000 years of subsequent history the operation of the principles we have examined has been beyond measure. The cult in terms of universal influence, the dynamic as an evolutionary and cosmic force. Now I said earlier that both cult and dynamic have their function and place in history. It is the function of the cult to preserve and restrain within society. Let us look then at how this has operated within Christianity. It has at best provided primarily for the Western world but also significantly in the East and it's all too easy today to identify Christianity with a Western religion ethical systems which have become the basis for national and even international law. This it has done by the transmission of truth at its exoteric level, through its ecclesiastical system and through the scriptures. In the West it has provided the basis for a civilization which until now has given communities, societies, and nations, cohesiveness, unity and stability. See how orthodox I am. Most significant in spiritual terms, it has preserved in its dogmas, doctrines, formularies and creeds, and above all in its scriptures, esoteric truths against the day when man shall have come of age, to use a certain bishop's language, in the sense of potential and when a new impetus from the dynamic will quicken again these truths and when they will be manifested in transforming power. But what of the dynamic during the 2000 years of ecclesiastical history? And what measure of consciousness has the church had or has of these realities? At worst she has identified herself and her ecclesiastical being as the dynamic and dreadful things have happened at these points. This has given rise to rampant triumphalism. At best her awareness has given her perspectives to see the action of God beyond herself and even to further this action in works of compassion and in the initiation of movements for renewal and reform. Sadly, the former has been nearer the norm. And even when the dynamic has been acknowledged and given space, attempts to trap, hold and control it within the cult have followed. You get this all through history, and there are so many movements today who are saying, we've got the Holy Spirit. Well, the moment you say you've got the Holy Spirit, you haven't. He's not there. You build a nice trap or a framework and say, the Holy Spirit is here. And that in itself means that the Holy Spirit is gone. But nevertheless, we go on laying traps. As I said earlier, in the Roman Catholic Church, recognition of the dynamic gave birth to the great religious orders. Within Protestantism, it gave rise to revival movements which crystallized into denominations. So, diversity 
of cults was established even within the context of Christendom. And as preoccupation with the cult developed, so the dynamic, unobserved, withdrew and quietly moved on. A few great souls keep allied to the dynamic throughout a lifetime. And these are the ones who shape the history of man. They are very rare indeed. Few of the stature of Francis of Assisi have appeared within the span of 2,000 years. And the sad fact is that their followers, whilst protesting their undeviating and undying loyalty to the wisdom of the great ones, in the end become preoccupied with propagating the cult and are again lost to the dynamic. Let me illustrate what I've been trying to convey with a quotation from the great Christian mystic, Meister Eckhart. He who seeks God under subtle forms lays hold on the form while missing the God within. Whether the subtle form be Piscean or Aquarian makes no difference. Nevertheless, the particular dynamic which gave birth in cultic form to Christendom is today still operating in power. And for this I believe there is very great deal of evidence, both within and beyond the ecclesiastical structures. At the same time, this is the day of disillusionment with the cult, with perhaps an unprecedented opportunity for Western man, so shaped by the cult, to become aware in an entirely new way of the operation of the dynamic. We live today in a twilight era of the passing away of the old and the coming to birth of the new and this is not of course just a religious concept. The pessimists supported by Toynbee's assessment of what is happening see all the signs of the end of a civilization preceding perhaps total catastrophe and as we have seen this weekend there is great evidence for this. The Marxists see the crumbling of the great capitalist systems preceding the birth of true social justice and communism. The apocalyptics and the fundamentalists see the approaching end of the world, whilst many see the signs of the parousia or the second coming of Christ. All these attempts to articulate and explain what is happening contain elements of possibility and truth. What is abundantly clear and beyond dispute is that we are, as we know, in the midst of a great crisis point in the history of the human race. And from this situation the cry goes up, consciously and unconsciously, from religious and irreligious alike, whither goes the dynamic at this time? Where lies reality and the road to sanity? How can we find it? How can we know it when we have found it? And having identified it, can we dare and are we able to go along with it? Now these are the questions which must be faced in our day and faced by those to whom it is given to have eyes to see and ears to hear. 
For I believe we are on the threshold of new possibilities of human response to the dynamic. We're like this at the moment, as we all know. There is no, apart from uh, hope, there is no assurance that we're going into the abyss or we're going to move up. Possibilities which perhaps have been unparalleled since the advent of the Christian era. There are today forces, energies, call them what you will, part of a cosmic rhythm, external to, but nevertheless profoundly affecting human awareness, both individual and collective. And they may be seen and experienced both in their negative and positive aspects. And here we should be aware that both fear of change and the conditioned behaviour patterns of many years, especially amongst those devoted to and dependent upon the cult, will combine to preoccupy us with the negative aspects, the breaking down of hierarchical structures, the disintegration of former concepts of morality, the dissolution of old political patterns, fundamental changes in education and so on. No aspect of society remains untouched. And on the positive side, unprecedented possibility for the evolution of a true humanity, or to use the language of Tadishada, a Christed humanity in all these areas. Now I should like at this point to make reference to two movements of thought which I believe have a particular significance in relation to the operation of the dynamic today. Movements which began to operate in Western Europe round about the turn of the century. Theosophy and Anthroposophy. The former, as you know of course, associated with Annie Besant. The latter, largely with Rudolf Steiner. Now until now, the contribution of these two movements toward human self-knowledge have gained no credibility either in the world of religion or science. Both have remained aloof. Their significance is, I believe, today to be found in their understanding of the nature of man, a significance pertinent to science, medicine and to religion. Official Western religious thought has so far rejected these movements as being a form of Gnosticism and if you have any ecclesiastical background at all you know that Gnosticism, to misquote Bishop Butler of the 18th century, is a horrid thing, a very horrid thing indeed. <laughs> Gnosticism, that is a claim to special knowledge, therefore outside the area of revealed truth and that's that. Whilst science has dismissed its premises as beyond the category of verifiable truth, verifiable that is by the modern Western scientific method. Nevertheless, although this area of knowledge and experience has for the scientific and religious establishment remained a closed book, the climate of spiritual and thoughtful opinion in this country is now, some 50 years after the initiation of these movements, being considerably influenced by theosophical and anthroposophical insights.
The reasons for this are not difficult to discover. For on the one hand, as I'm sure we realize, there is a widespread disillusionment with the sometimes terrifying results of the Western scientific method and the direction that it has seemed to take since the establishment of Newtonian physics. Its inevitable development is seen increasingly by many as a road to pollution, disintegration and ultimately self-destruction. On the other hand, there is the widespread disillusionment with orthodox religion, which in the face of a fast disappearing dogmatic consciousness appears to be totally unrelated to contemporary spiritual aspirations. Traditional anthropomorphic views of God are being rejected by the vast majority and a new understanding both of reality and divinity is emerging. An understanding which is today giving insight as never before into the interior non-physical worlds to which theosophy and anthroposophy have been signposts. This new understanding cannot with integrity maintain confidence in either religious or scientific assertions which take no cognizance of these realities. And we need to be quite clear that neither scientific nor religious dogmatism can quell the present rising tide of inquiry and realization. For the present needs of society, neither a divinity who is seen to stand apart from the created order, nor a scientific method which takes no cognizance of the essential unity of all life and the reality behind its physical form will be acceptable. Now, if we are to understand the full significance for the possibilities of spiritual advance at this stage of history, we need to try and understand what is now happening in the rhythm of life in this planet. What is happening in the spiral of human history? And this is where hope is required. Indeed, to see that the disintegrations and the upheavals are the birth throes of a new epoch. To put this into specifically Christian terminology, no, St. Paul had something more to say than whether women should wear hats in church. In the language of St. Paul, whose views were much more cosmic than he is sometimes given credit for, we are experiencing a surging forward of the whole creation, groaning and travailing, waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. A bursting forth of a new aspect of the cosmic Christ far beyond the ecclesiastical and cultic structures. And this is the dynamic of the new epoch. Now, I said we must try to see and try to understand. How do we try? How do we see? How do we understand? The story is told of two men rushing at the very last moment onto the platform of a certain railway station. The train was at the point of departure and the last of the doors were being slammed shut. A would-be helpful passenger threw open the door of his compartment, grabbed the first of the two breathless and flustered arrivals and with a tremendous heave as the train gathered momentum hoisted him on board, slamming the door behind him. 
The second of the two men was left thwarted and bewildered standing on the platform. For a few moments there was a breathless silence. Then the helped man burst into uncontrollable laughter. Asked why by his bewildered helper, because, he said, pointing in the direction of the fast disappearing station, I came to see him off. The intention was excellent, but the timing and the action were all wrong, for the perception was imperfect. Never has there been a time when perception was more necessary, for the dynamic is even now operating in the hearts of men at the very seat of man's faculty for perception. This operation is resulting in a change in human consciousness which is now moving onto a new level of awareness. Two years ago, the Times, and only the English are arrogant enough to say the Times, the Times in a leading article referred to the disappearance of dogmatics in the consciousness of Christians. Now, this is something we may deplore or welcome the fact remains that this is happening and dogmatic consciousness in the context of religion is being superseded by a higher form of awareness and I believe there are many evidences for this where apparent opposites are being transcended and this is something more than a synthesis of truth. Those sharing in this consciousness find themselves standing at points of intersection between worlds which at the level of dogmatic formulas appear to be contradictory and irreconcilable. And if you want to see this worked out systematically, get the now out of print book, which I hope when I've done stumping up and down the country talking about it, I'll get back into print. By Hap I'm getting myself mixed up now. By Hapold, Religious Faith and 20th Century Man. Hapold was a man before his time. His other books are all in print. Um, and if somebody else doesn't print it, I will. He does a, has a whole chapter on intersection. It's a well worth reading book. Ask Watkins if they can get a copy for you. They can occasionally get hold of a second-hand copy. One of the great forerunners of intersection was Simone Weil, the French-Jewish resistance fighter in France during World War II. Her perception of the Christ who fills all things made it impossible for her to enter into any kind of exclusive commitment beyond her commitment to him. So, born a Jewess, she died in the Jewish religion, fully and sacrificially committed to the Christ who transcends all barriers. So, the essential unity in Christ that the mystics have always known will become the common experience. That which has constituted a tradition will become the norm. That we are moving rapidly in this direction is evident on every hand. There is now evolving something which we cannot call an organization in the church. Rather it is an eruption of life from within. A movement of what I would call Holy Spirit Dynamic. It is the beginnings and the very beginnings, but it's there, in the church of the great change 
from a devotional religion to interior awareness a moving from and I'm often misunderstood here although I've got it written down if you want to read exactly what I say a moving from devotion to a personality image of Jesus and let us not despise or underestimate the value of this to many to an inner perception of the truth as it is in Jesus and I'm quoting the New Testament when I use that phrase an awareness of the truth as it is in Jesus an inner perception of this truth perfectly held by the Master Jesus of the indwelling Christ it is this new awareness that can penetrate the cultic forms and reactivate the long hidden truths but such capacity for penetration is achieved only as a result of spiritual disciplines disciplines which awaken the intuitive faculty within I've nearly finished the contemplative meditation movement and the new meditative philosophy of life now manifesting both within the cultic forms and in many other areas are fostering this new awareness when right disciplines are brought to bear upon the heart and rightly applied to the treasure house of esoteric truth all truth is there in the cultic forms if we can rediscover it, it's all there still found within the cult then the dynamic is seen to manifest in transforming and regenerating power appropriate for the contemporary situation and magnetic centers are established within society now in closing I should like to brief speak briefly about an aspect of the contemporary situation which I believe is basically full of hope in relation to the dynamic where great wisdom is required the past hundred years has been rich in men and women through whom the dynamic for the new epoch has manifested Annie Besant Rudolf Steiner Alice Bailey Gurdjieff Krishnamurti and many others signs and signposts beings who broke through systems and channeled energies that caused cult to give way again and again to dynamic it is one of the sad facts of history as I have sought to indicate in this lecture that the followers of the great ones tend to be the very ones to recreate replacements for the cults their teachers have avoided and transcended it would be one of the great ironies of history if in the name of a new age for men the old ecclesiastical systems were replaced by new age cults which denied the raison d'etre of the title new age and became static memorials to missed opportunity these are the pitfalls we shall avoid if we can learn both the lessons of history and discover today how to recognize the dynamic within the heart.